Except it's not the KNC masterpiece. It is the damn masterpiece today on 105.3 The Fan. My name is Alec Medford. I am with Mike Bassick and current Major League pitcher Derek Holland with you until 2 o'clock today before we give way to the G-Bag Nation. Coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, you will want to keep it locked on 105.3 The Fan. We will have a giveaway for the Frisco Baseball Classic starting on March 3rd. Have some tickets to give away for you, so keep it turned on and left on right here on 105.3 The Fan. But and Alec, at 1245, we are going to talk a little college baseball. Ooh. So I am surprised how popular college baseball has become. So as we're giving away these tickets, it is a thing that it's fun. Yeah, and I live over by Globe Life Field over in the Arlington Grand Prairie area. And this past weekend with the showdown that was going down, six different teams showcasing over there at Globe Life Field. The traffic was nasty. (laughs) There is a lot of eyes on college baseball, and the College World Series is one of my favorite parts of the year. So uh, ready for that conversation. That's going to be a fun one. But right now we do have to get into this All-Star Weekend festivity talk because there were some uh, interesting storylines to come out of the NBA All-Star Weekend, including Mac McClung. Holy cow. Of all people. And I I do want to give this man his flowers because lots of people saw the lineup for the dunk contest come out and they saw a, at the time, G League player get put on the roster for the slam dunk contest. And he had probably the best five days of his life in succession. He ended up getting picked up by the 76ers on a two-way contract. So he is now technically an NBA guy. He ends up getting signed by Puma to a shoe deal. And then he wins the slam dunk contest all in the course of five days. Hey, I know that, first of all, I wasn't even going to watch the dunk competition. I've been out on it for a little bit. I do really like the three-point competition because you have a lot of all-stars who are competing in that. So they're they're known names, you know, and you get to the slam dunk competition and it's usually, every once in a while, but it's usually a bunch of no names who are role players in the NBA or guys that, you know, don't even play yet in the NBA or get kicked out of the league two, three years later, is a lot of people were upset, including Kenny the Jet Smith on the call. He he couldn't stand that Mac McClung was in this thing. And I'm like, look, I know him from Texas Tech. I didn't know he was with the Sixers. I didn't know much about him. Uh, what happened to him after Texas Tech? I assumed he might have gone overseas. Watching him at Tech, I was like, man, really good player, but probably – a guy who's going to go overseas and play eight to ten years, make millions of dollars doing that, but not an NBA uh, type of guy. And I had no clue. Alec, I had no clue he could jump like that watching him play at Texas Tech. I knew he was kind of a Trey Young starter kit without mm-hmm. being as good as Trey as, as Trey Young at Texas Tech. But I was like, dude, I had no clue that he could do what he could do. In fact, I don't know if there's any other – maybe there is, and and maybe John Morant could, but I don't know of any other guys that are around six foot to six foot two who can jump like that who are at least decent enough to be considered an NBA player. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's other guys, but that was so impressive. And it's also the unknown. Let's be honest here. Mm-hmm. We are so also impressed by it because nobody thinks of a six foot two white dude about to jump like that. Nope. So that's what kind of made it impressive too is we're watching somewhat the unknown. It's an unknown like so this 6 foot dude white dude like I mean let's there's a whole movie on white man can't jump mm-hmm. and there's going to be a repeat of it coming up that they're making another deal of white man can't jump. So you put a 6 foot 2 white dude there who's jumping over everybody in the most impressive dunks we've seen in a while in a dunk competition. I was out 
I, I just I couldn't believe it. My jaw dropped. I called my sons who weren't they watched a three point competition with me and they're like, We don't care about the dunk competition. We don't yeah. know any of these guys. And I'm like, I kinda know them, but not much. And then I was like, dude, you gotta come here. You gotta see what this Mac McClung just did after his first dunk, and then they were locked in from there. He was <clears throat> excuse me, he was floating. That was the big yeah. thing too. And he was very creative, which we haven't seen in the past like I'd say at least four years. What was it? You said the last time uh that they jumped over the the Blake Griffin jumping over the car. Like, yeah. We haven't seen any like true creativity, and like I think this, to me, I feel like this may have turned the corner and helped the slam dunk contest come back a little bit. And that's what I'm hoping. Hoping. Yeah. And I'm just saying. It he could did be. say I watched him get interviewed. He said he had seven total dunks, mm-hmm. and they weren't sure which seven they were going to use, which four of the seven they were going to use. But he had three more that he just felt like when he was talking to kind of his dunk coach, whoever yeah. helped him out, of like, let's do this one right now. So he said he has three that he thinks are just as good as the four we saw. He just didn't use them, and he wants to do it next year. I do know at one point Craig Hodges, who was the three-point champion uh, you know, in the NBA, he did a three-point competition back in the 90s where he just wore a random like jersey. It had no team on him because he wasn't in the NBA, but because he was the defending champion – They allowed Craig Hodges to come back and shoot in the three-point competition. So I would think with how crazy everybody went, uh, including my family, that they would be like, we want Mac McClung coming back to this because, let's face it, John Morant won't do it. Zion Williamson is always hurt and doesn't want to do it either. So, like, the best players who are the best dunkers refuse to do it once again. Led by LeBron. LeBron's arguably the greatest player of all time, but he's led the NBA down a bad path for All-Star Weekend. And because he said, no, I don't do it. Kobe did it. Jordan did it. Like, you know, Jordan even tried the three-point competition, was horrible at it. You know, Larry Bird did the three-point competition, and we still see the greats do the three-point competition. But literally, to me, it is throwing two middle fingers up to the NBA when you're LeBron James. Of like, I don't care that Dr. J did it. I don't care that Michael Jordan did it. I don't care that Kobe Bryant did it. I don't care that the greats of the game that when they were young did it. I'm not doing it. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to establish this. Now for all the greats coming after me, don't do it. Yeah, Because I, you might get beat by Mac McClung. So what? Like, yeah, we, that's what I, Dominique I wish, got beat by Spud Webb. Yeah, I don't. that's why I don't understand why people care so much about this. So what if LeBron would have gotten beat by... McClung like who cares it's it's more for the entertainment like it's what you can do what can you be creative with and dunk and if that's why it sucks that we're not going to see any of the true stars get out there and do it because we know that they can be creative they do it during games why not try to do it now it's for the entertainment of the dunk contest and I guess LeBron would say because I have my own dunk contest in the game which it is I mean the first three minutes that's why I turned it off because I'm like okay I get it like uh, John Morant wasn't in the dunk competition, so we're going to just literally just stand at half court and watch him do three dunks in the first five minutes of the game where he gets to do his own dunk competition where there's no grading, there's no scores, there's no winner or loser. He gets to do three kind of awesome dunks while we stand at half court and watch him do three dunks. And that's just, it screws up the all-star game and it screws up a, a little bit of Saturday. I will say this, and I don't know if you guys want to stick on the um, – Slam dunk competition. We can move on just a little bit real quick. I do love the three-point competition. I do love that Damian Lillard won it. He's one of the best three-point shooters in the game. And I think Damian Lillard, staying with the Portland Trailblazers, kind of, Alec, leads us into Kevin Durant and his career versus a guy like Damian Lillard's career. 
Yeah, because Kevin Durant, vocal as always here at the All-Star Game festivities out in Utah, and he spoke, he was asked by the media about, you know, trade requests because he's no stranger to them and neither is his former teammate Kyrie Irving. What does it do for the game? What's Kevin Durant's thoughts on the status of trade requests in the NBA? I don't think it's bad for the league. It's bringing more eyes to the league. More people are more excited. The tweets that I got in the 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 news hits that we got from me being traded, Kyrie being traded, just bring more attention to the league. And that's really what makes you money is when you get more attention. So um, I think it's great for the league, to be honest. Teams been trading players and making acquisitions for a long time. Now when a player can, you know, uh, kind of dictate where he wants to go and leaving free agency or demand a trade, it's just part of the game now. So I don't think it's a bad thing. It's bringing more and more excitement um, to the game. So – I don't disagree, but I also don't totally agree either because what Kevin Durant is seeing only from his perspective, he's a superstar and he sees all of Phoenix getting excited and he does see in general the NBA fan getting excited. But what he doesn't see, I guess, is the destruction of Oklahoma City. Uh, And Shaq kind of needed to go to L.A. I can't believe that Orlando wouldn't max him out, but you don't see the destruction of the Orlando Magic if you're Shaq. You just see the built-up deal of the LA Lakers so I agree with Kevin Durant in one aspect it takes a whole bunch of attention to another city which is great the problem is is it destroys Brooklyn and so now for the next three to five years Brooklyn is a destroyed franchise that people aren't going to pay money for aren't going to care about so that's the tough thing Derek well I also look at it too is you got this contract you wanted to go to Brooklyn you got that and then now all of a sudden you're going to complain you want to go somewhere else so that's one part that I don't like is now you're you're not you're not uh following through with your contract you're not taking care of that which that's what you got to do because you wanted to go there you chose to go there to be there with Kyrie and uh who else was there Harden was there I think Mm -hmm. so it's like you not at the time it was DeAndre Jordan it was the big three it was into I read the book in 2016 at the Olympic situation Kyrie had talked to Durant because he needed to leave Oklahoma City and he had just joined Uh, Golden State, but it's like, come with me to my team, the Brooklyn Nets, and DeAndre Ayton's going to come too, because at the time he was still kind of on that borderline of all-star status, and they had all made the pack in 2016, just like packs are being made right now at All-Star Weekend on where people are going to be two to three years from now, so they had made a pack together that they were going to go to Brooklyn when they could all go to Brooklyn. Yeah, and that's why I say it's I get it. I love being able to say, like, man, I really want to go here. I really want to go there. And, of course, you're going to get all the hype from the fans, like you said, with Phoenix. Yeah, we're getting Durant. Well, Brooklyn's looking at, like, yeah, we had him. We were so excited. He wanted to be here, and then he quickly turned the page on us. So I hope he he doesn't do that to you guys. Like, it's you can quickly turn on a fan base because you want to go somewhere else. As soon as you open up those words of, man, I really would like to go somewhere else, that fan base is going to see it, and it's like, man, then why do we have you? It's like you don't even care to be here for us. You don't even want to take care of your contract here. You're ready. To, you're already looking ahead. Yeah, and the other aspect of this is, Alec, is Damian Lillard, who just won the three-point competition. He refuses to go anywhere but stay in Portland for his whole career. He doesn't – I know he wants to win a championship, but I think everybody knows his agents, him, he's never going to win a championship. He, But he is going to play in Portland for 15-plus years and be Portland's greatest player – of their time. I think he's going to take over Clyde Drexler's spot since he never won a championship, did make it to two NBA finals. But I think Lillard will represent the Portland Trailblazers for his life. And so it's kind of the catch 22. 
I think now we're getting to the point with Lillard where we're like, gosh, shouldn't you kind of ask out? I mean, you've been yeah. there now for over a decade, and it's not getting any better. You guys are fighting for the tenth spot where you're going to probably not even make the real playoffs. There's there's no way you guys are ever going to become a competitive team again during your time. At least it doesn't look like it. And it's kind of the catch-22. We say, hey, Kevin Durant, stick with it. But then we look at Lillard after a decade and going, man, why do you just want to stay in Portland? Loyalty is hard to find. Yeah, and I think that is the difference there. I, I think when you see a guy like Kevin Durant, it's easier to be overly critical. It's easier to be critical of a guy like Kyrie Irving and what have you because there is no loyalty there. There is no like long-term respect, if you will. There's no long-term commitment at all. Damian Lillard, you see after a decade, and it's like, man, you just spent 10 years of your life there. You got to make something happen. You're too good. But when you see a guy like Kevin Durant that, you know, is the best basketball player alive, you have to make a guy like him elevate the people around him. Obviously, you can't do it all yourself. It's not that kind of league anymore. But if you have a Kyrie Irving on your team, you need to try to make it work. If you have James Harden at your team at some point with you, you need to try to make it work. Even when you acquire a guy like Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith at the deadline, you're still competitive enough. You still have a decent enough record in Brooklyn to make that thing work at least and try to have some fun in the playoffs. Damian Lillard, it's a little bit easier to be like, man, why? After it's been so long, Kevin Durant and company, it's just a couple years and it's like, really? After that short amount of time? Yeah, I mean, but they're paying him, too. That's the big thing. They're giving yep. him the money to keep him there. But that's the thing that scares me, too, is with this, like, we have Luka, you know, and we got Kyrie now, too. You could see that come from Luka here soon. It's like, if we don't start doing things to build this team, helping me to win, then, yeah, he's going to say the same things. You're going to see him do the Durant, like, hey, man, I really would like to go to wherever. Yeah. So you have to, as, as a, to me, I'm not trying to take the shots at Cuban, but it's like, you better make this guy happy. If you want to keep somebody here, that's why you can keep a lot of guys from being outspoken like KD like that. It's like, if you're putting pieces around me, then he has no reason to say anything. Yeah. And in his case, though, he did say stuff because he's just not happy. They're not winning, whatever. That, that's on them because the owner provided all the pieces that they wanted. So at the end of the day, it comes back to them on that. It's like, you have the pieces there. That's your own fault. Now, I did what you asked. I can't help you anymore. And yeah, and I, now I it's think time to go. It's so weird, and it, it goes down to opinion, your opinion on who's the greatest player of all time, who's top 10 <laughs> players of all time. But literally when it comes down to who are the best players of all time, they all have at least two championships, if not you know three to six uh, in the history of the NBA. So it's just interesting that Kevin Durant, the way he's gone about his career, just going from Oklahoma City and being so beloved to now getting to Phoenix. And he's one of these guys, we know he's one of the best players in the game, but I don't think he'll ever be on most people's, whether it's ESPN, NBA.com, whether it's yours. I don't think he's going to be on most people's top 10 players of all time because of the way his he dictated going to Golden State. He then dictated going to Brooklyn. Then he dictated going to Phoenix. It's it's a weird deal. He might end up with three or four championships, but not be considered one of the 10 greatest players of all time because of the way he did it. And it's even weirder that his first press conference as a son, they ask him, could you see yourself finishing your career here? And he said, yeah, I can. But I said that about Brooklyn too. Yeah. Like, what are we doing? We're already getting off on the wrong foot, but that's the, uh, that's the life and legacy of Kevin Durant. You always got to stay on your toes with him. It is the damn masterpiece right here on 105.3 The Fan. Mike Bassick, Derek Holland, Alec Medford with you. And coming up next, will pitching keep getting worse 
across baseball. That's next. Today, it's the damn masterpiece with Derek, Alec, and Mike leading the way. Kevin and Corey, they love presidents. They have not had a president that they don't love. And they wanted to celebrate presidents so much today that they said, we can't work when we have to celebrate the presidents. Kevin on Fox News? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And Corey on CNN. Maybe they're going to. Corey News Network. There it is. Okay. So. Got it. Let's go back to baseball. And today is full workout for the Rangers. So if people aren't really following too closely, you have pitchers and catchers that usually show up approximately four days before the rest of the players show up. So guys can start getting in bullpens early. So then when the position players come in, you can throw what they call live BP or live action, where now hitters are stepping into the box. And Derek, in your time pitching in the major leagues here, do you guys like swinging the first day when you have – do you use the L-screen or not use the L-screen? I don't want it because okay. I'm not going to have it when I'm actually pitching, so why would I have it when I'm out there throwing live BP? Okay. So as much as we want to protect the player they, – But they will they'll, – they'll still put it out there for the most part because they, they – I mean, they got to protect you. And if people don't know what the L-screen is, it's kind of shaped like an L, and you have an arm a slot. Yeah, or, or a J. Or the righties. And you, you can see where the net's not in your way, but as you finish your pitch, the L screen is going to protect you where if they hit a line drive back at you, it should be impossible for the ball to hit you. And some guys say, no, I don't want it. I'll protect myself. I don't want to worry about it. I was a guy who was like, I'm fine with the L screen in front of me. Uh, and that way I don't have to protect myself if somebody does hit a ball back 100 miles an hour because I'm also not trying to get the hitter out. I'm trying to see a hitter in the batter's box, and then be able to execute a pitch. But I'm not trying to throw sequence of pitches or anything. I might throw the first guy up to bat. Let's just say it was um, Corey Seager. I'm going to throw five fastballs away to Corey Seager. So he might time me up pretty good by the third to fifth one, and I don't want that ball coming back at me. And I don't want him – I also wanted my hitters getting better, so I didn't want them to think, oh, I don't want to hit the ball up the middle or I don't want to work on back up the middle because my pitcher isn't protected here. Yeah, you get a lot of guys, though. There's If it's their first day, I remember I had to face, like, Michael Young. They'll track. They're they're just kind of just seeing, and they're giving you feedback, too. Right. Most guys don't want to just get in there. It's usually your younger guys that are, like, super aggressive right out the gate trying to go get you because they – First of all, some of them are already there, so they've already watched how you're throwing, so they're like, all right, I'm ready. I'm going to go in there and just attack. So yeah. it's different. But, yeah, for me, it's like if I was facing Seager, I'm not going to treat him as if it was like the real batting right. if I was facing him in season. So I'm going to do what you did. I'm going to go away just to kind of work on that and all know if he's swinging or not. That's yeah. the big thing. Yeah, and that's you kind of want an idea from the hitter, or especially if you don't have the L screen. Are you going to swing or not? Because if you're going to swing, I have to my follow-through has to be a little bit different. Yeah, I changed my approach. And that's why, too, with the L screen that you were talking about, what I don't like about it, and that's the reason why I don't have it there, is when I throw, it's still in my way. So it's like I, I feel like I cut myself off. I don't gotcha. do my true potential of what I'm trying to work on. So that's why I'm, I'm a big get the L screen out of there. Gotcha. Okay. So now that's starting today for the Texas Rangers as they're finishing up their team meeting and going to take the uh, back four fields here uh, pretty soon and go over, uh, you know, practice. Now. When it comes to pitchers, and Derek, I wanted to have this discussion with you because 
Yeah. This comes off of Justin Verlander heading to New York. He's a Met. Mm-hmm. Last year, he went 18-4 and four with a 175 ERA and won the Cy Young for his third Cy Young of his career. I call him kind of back-to-back Cy Youngs for him because in 2019, he was healthy. He went 21-6 and six with a 258 ERA. So 39 wins in 2019, 2022 combined. 2020, he got hurt. 2021, he didn't pitch. He wants 300 wins. He's at 244 wins, so he's 56 away. So he is at least three years away from that, if not most likely at his age, 40 years old this year, four years away from possibly getting to 300 wins. Now, if you look at his career, he was a guy when he was from age 24 to age 31, All of those years, he threw 200 or more innings. Now, I know back in the day, Nolan Ryan would throw 300 innings or Don Sutton. We're never going to see that. But what I'm wondering is this, because even though he had in 2015, he kind of got hurt. If you get to 2016, 2017, uh, the last couple years, he's been healthy. Last year, 175 innings, but he's a 200 plus inning guy. He's a guy who can make 30 to 35 starts. Uh, in a season will we ever see guys again as we're getting close to the end of Verlander's career I know Max Scherzer still has time left I know Clayton Kershaw still has some time left but as we're getting to the end of these guys era are we just going to keep dipping down more and more and more because Verlander looks like the last guy in the history of baseball who will even have an outside chance of getting to 300 wins and if he does it'll be when he's 42, 43 years old, if he has that chance. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, you're, you're not going to see guys doing that. No, I think that's, we're on the decline of that. I mean, also, you're going to see less and less of 200 innings, I feel like, too. That's the other thing, because a quality start now, I feel like, has dropped down to, what, five innings? It's like, we go to the bullpen right away. It's because numbers say. Uh, for me, though, Verlander, I think he's going to have, I think this year he might win 20 games, just because you got to look at the team he's playing for. The Astros was a good team, too, but I think this Mets team is a better squad on paper, obviously. So I give him that. So I feel like he has a good chance to get there uh, in the next three years. He's a a competitor. Each year, it's like he continues to be very consistent with what he's doing. So I think you're going to see that. But 200 innings is going to be starting to fade away. You're going to see – you already see less complete games and shutouts to begin with. So Well, last year he had zero complete games. You, that's what I'm saying. You don't – well – He's only had – he's had 26 in his career. But I, I've, the number is completely going down. Right. It's, it's, it's just it's dropping just zero, off. Guys right? don't Nobody, go the distance. Yeah, even people get so nervous about no hitters now because – and I get it. If the dude's never pitched nine innings in his life, he pitched seven innings in high school, never pitched nine innings at college, never pitched nine innings in a minor league start, then at 26 years old for the first time ever – he has a no-hitter through seven innings. His body's literally never pitched the eighth and ninth inning, and that is a different deal. It is the only way I can compare it is when you tell horses, I'm not much of a horse racer, but they're great at a mile track. And then you're like, hey, let's go run that horse a mile and a half. Sometimes the horse literally dies. It literally you literally have to shoot it dead after, you know, it falls and collapses because <laughs> the horse isn't able to do that. It never was trained nice. to do it, and its heart gives out on it or its leg gives out on it. And like, all right, kill the horse. It's dead. And so that's. But that's the, because we don't train for it. We don't. 
it, you look at it, and that's why I'm so blessed that I got to play with Nolan, or not play with him, but have Nolan Ryan as our guy. He encouraged the, the conditioning side of everything and getting guys to go the distance. But now we're so hooked onto this nerd stuff of baseball to where it's like, well, the numbers say this rather than what's happening right now. How is that guy dominating this lineup today as we speak? Is he doing really good? Then let's keep riding it out. But if he's not, okay, fine, we go somewhere else. How do you expect guys to get better or go the distance if you don't even give them that opportunity? And then now here we are in the seventh inning, and it's the first time that Jim Boogerloo made it that far. Well, here we go. We got to take him out because he's never experienced this. And you got to do it in the minor leagues. Yes. You can't just wait till the major leagues. And that's the thing about development now is if you're pitching well in double A and you've pitched seven innings and you've only thrown 80 pitches, sometimes like, well, I have to take him out because I have to get these two relievers in today and I have to somewhat protect you because you're never supposed to pitch past seven innings. But that's where you learn how to pitch the eighth and ninth inning. And I'm not saying we're going to have Fergie Jenkins where he would throw 30 complete games back in the 70s and 80s in a season, not just in like his career. Like even Verlander, 26 complete games in his career. That's a normal season for a guy who was a star in the 70s. And still, you can't tell me this, and I know everything changes. You can't tell me that God stopped making Fergie Jenkins and stopped making Nolan Ryan and Steve Carlton. And I go back to my day, Derek, and – It's not that long ago. I guess it is, but it isn't. I was drafted in 96. My last year of affiliated baseball was 2008. And I played with Tom Glavin, 300-game winner. I played against Randy Johnson, 300-game winner. Same with uh, Greg Maddox. Same with Roger Clemens. There were guys. There's not tons, but there were guys. There's four guys that in my era all had 300 wins. I might be forgetting about a few here and there, but Mike Mussina was a guy who got close to it. And, you know, there were guys that – would have 200 wins was not a huge deal. It was a, It's a big deal, don't get me wrong, but it's like if you played with a guy who had 200 wins, like, yeah, but it's not 300 wins. And so it was just 10 to 15 years ago that we still had guys that had great careers, your Hall of Fame pitchers, that would be looking at 300 wins as a career goal because they had longevity and they were able to pitch. It's really tough to win, Derek. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's really tough to win a major league game as a starter if you don't pitch seven innings. Correct. And that's why I want to say, too, with the minor leagues. Now, I experienced this last year when I opted out of Boston. I went to Toronto. And when I was there, like I told you, we play a team for a week. That's how it is in AAA. We had in Toronto, when I was there with this organization, at one point we had one starter. That's how ridiculous this is, is we'd have, you'd have everybody start, whatever. I started three games in one week. Because And all I was doing was going two innings. And that's what they were trying to do. And it's like, you're not teaching me how to pitch. Not that I needed that because I've already had the experience. But the young guys aren't learning as a starter to go the distance. You're learning to go in, pitch two innings, and get out. And that's it. And that, to me, that's not helping learn how to pitch. Now, I don't know how the Rangers minor league system does that and everything. And I'm assuming, you know, with Leiter and and Rocker, all those guys, they're they're getting to go a little bit longer than that. But it's like you said, if you're not teaching it in the minor leagues, what do you think is going to happen when the guy gets up to the big leagues and he's, all right, we're at the third inning. Well, I haven't gone past two innings, so I don't know yeah. what to expect. What or I haven't gone past five innings ever in the minor leagues. And here's the deal. And this is how I just analytic people to me, they have a place in the game and I need them in my game. But this is how stupid they are at times. What happens when my guy gets rocked or he gets a bad blister or he blows out his elbow in the first inning? And I have to use my whole bullpen that whole day. And this is why we see way too many position players pitching. 
is now the guy coming up, I really need him to have a six-inning start, if not seven-inning start, because I literally used eight guys in my pen yesterday because either my guy got blown up or he got hurt in the first or second inning. And now the guy pitching is like, dude, I've never pitched past five innings in my life. Because of the way we're doing it in the minor leagues, hey, you have a two-inning start, maybe the next time you have a four-inning start, then we move you back to a three-inning start, and it's like, all I can pitch is five innings. I've literally never pitched more than five innings in my life. And then you're ruining your bullpen. And now we have to see uh, whoever pitch yeah, in, we have in to a game. extend you. See if you can go longer. Yeah. We, and, you have to do it. And, like, and you shouldn't do those. it. And you shouldn't do it to a, a dude who's 27 years old who pitched four or five years in the minor leagues, got called up at 24 years old to the major leagues, and has – a max of six innings as a start, and then you're asking them, dude, we're, we're out of pitchers. We've gotten hurt or we've been bad pitching for now four days, and you have thrown six innings, but you honestly shouldn't throw that guy a seventh inning if for his whole life he's never thrown into a seventh inning. You're going to hurt that guy mm-hmm. doing it, so I just... You could also hurt his confidence, too. Yeah. He goes out and he pitched a great game, and now all of a sudden this one inning he gets his... He gets lit up. It's John, frustrating to me that computer guys... <laughs> believe that God stopped creating Bob Gibson, that God stopped creating Greg Maddox, that God stopped creating Nolan. I get like Nolan Ryan and 5,700 something strikeouts. I totally get how that will never happen again. But God did not stop creating guys to go seven, eight, nine innings. It's that the analytic people stopped giving Nolan Ryan a chance to be Nolan Ryan. The analytic people stopped giving Mike Mussina a chance to be Mike Mussina. Like, I'm not, those are two totally different pitchers, but Mike Mussina could throw seven to nine innings almost every start, every fifth day. And then the analytic people said, don't do it because if they face a lineup a third time, their life's going to end and our whole team's going to be destroyed and our world will come to an end. That's why I think we're lucky with Bochi and Maddox. You're going to see, hopefully, the pitching side of it is going to go the distance because of that. They're not going to play this numbers game of, well, this is what it says third time through. They're going to go, you know what? He's doing really good today. You think they're going to go out there and tell DeGrom, oh, sorry, man, third time, or for him, fourth time through, or sorry, no, third time through, their 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 numbers jumped up to 275. So I don't, I don't know if we can do that. I can't imagine that they're Jacob DeGrom that. is worse than uh, whoever they have. I'm, I'm not, Joe Barlow has been a closer, but... You're telling me that Joe Barlow is better than J- – after Jacob DeGrom's throwing six shutout innings and he's at pitch 92, Joe Barlow's going to be better than Jacob DeGrom in inning seven? Correct. There like, that's, that's silly. But that's, that's what, what analytic people believe. And the other thing, too, is I totally get this. When you are up 10-1 to 1 after seven innings, there's no reason to pitch DeGrom the Unless eighth or ninth inning. The no. only reason that I would say yes, and I didn't mean to cut you off, or whoever said that, I don't know which one came on the mic – the only reason I would say it's okay is because he has a shutout going. Right. Now you're, okay, we got a personal thing going on. Let's get it for him. I want him to do that. That's fine. But, yes, you, it's whatever. You're up like 10 and, you know, you kind of struggled a little bit or whatever. Or maybe some other guys need some innings. Yeah. Let's get them in there. That's fine. But that's I want to go back to the other thing, too. That's why the analytics, don't get me wrong, it's good. There is definitely some benefits to it. But you're also not looking at what's going on right now. Right. Analytics is over time. It's not set as what's happening at this moment. Now, coming up next on The Damn Masterpiece, we get into gridiron gravy and how big or small is the Super Bowl window for the Dallas Cowboys next.
It's the damn masterpiece on 105.3. The fan Alec Medford with you alongside Mike Bassick and Derek Holland today until 2 o'clock. The regular crew will return tomorrow. But right now, looking up at the clock, it's about 11.40. And it's about time to dip into some grid iron gravy. Dip with oil and vinegar. That was strong, Joey. I really like that. Yeah, I've been getting better. You've been getting progressively better, and I appreciate it because I sucked at it when I ran KNC most of the time. Yeah, I forgot the first time we did it. So so did I. Yeah. See, <laughs> beginner's luck. But I'm I'm proud of how you're growing up, JoJo. It's uh it's really cool, even though you're older than me. But gridiron gravy here in the damn masterpiece on 105.3 The Fan. We have an interesting piece from NFL.com. Uh, Bucky Brooks, a longtime analyst for NFL.com. The NFL's eight biggest Super Bowl windows. Right now, what do they look like? Who is in the title picture right now going into the next season? Where do the uh, Dallas Cowboys stand? Truckwreck.com text on 877-881-1053, 877-881-1053. Get your guesses in for where the Cowboys rank in this list of top eight biggest Super Bowl windows right now. And obviously, we have to address the elephant in the room that is the oh, reigning champion. That. Oh, oh, sorry, Derek. <laughs> Got to give you a big head. But listen, this is serious time. Okay, okay. I know. Sorry, I noticed a, that you're a little more serious. You're in a because Kevin and Corey's not here. You're in a top five you market. You haven't randomly thrown out like, oh, pineapple's weird. We discussed this, and the problem is Kevin. He's the one that causes everything to go he off the rails. You mm-hmm. know why? Because Kevin wants everything to be his way. Oh, so you like to? And take so him I off like track. taking. So now him off it's my track. turn to keep you. And yeah. take you off track. Yeah, but you know. I'll dictate to you. You listen here, brother. Yes, buddy. sir. Oh, brother. What yeah. are you, Hulk Hogan? Brother. You listen here, brother. <laughs> listen, we're playing golf tomorrow. Yes, we are. All right? Yes. So let's concentrate we- on this NFL topic. All right. Sorry about that. Yeah. Go Brownies. <laughs> they're see, not. Let's see if they're in this window. They're not. Weird. <laughs> I strong this. guess. The window's completely browned out. They, they- <sighs> <laughs> I don't ahead. like that terminology. See... I thrive in the chaos. I, I do a whole segment on the weekends that is just about chaos. So uh, I don't mind any of this. I'm not like Kevin. But uh, the Kansas City Chiefs obviously have to be at the top of this list because they have Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I think when you have Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes leading the way, you have to enter the season each season in this window, if not top five, top three. Like the the way that this organization has consistently enabled Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid to just do what they do best each and every season. It's not going to stop anytime soon unless Andy Reid decides, hey, I'm going to get another one here the next year or two and I'm going to walk away. I don't see this ending anytime soon. They got to be perennial AFC championship caliber teams. I'm with you. This was the year. This was not not that their Super Bowl window was done, but this was the year, right? Everybody like, man, you, you you traded away Tyreek Hill. Uh, you lost some contributors on a team that lost in overtime to the Cincinnati Bengals. This is going to be a year where Buffalo, for one, everybody thought it was Buffalo's year in the AFC, mm-hmm. and that Cincinnati just beat them. Maybe Cincinnati has their number. There's a couple other teams that maybe Kansas City has to kind of regroup and figure out what they're going to do around Patrick Mahomes and how they're going to rebuild their weapons on the outside. And Patrick Mahomes is like, that's okay. Just give me a whole bunch of number three receivers. Cause that's pretty much what, pretty much what he had is like really good. Number three receivers, Juju Smith, Schuster, 
you know, they end up getting Kadarius Tony uh, later in the year, mm-hmm. and you just looked at kind of their their guys, and you're like, ooh, this doesn't look great on a piece of paper. And yeah. freaking Mahomes still won the Super Bowl with one bad ankle too. And the question that I have really. I don't expect too much of this to factor into next season's offensive success, but now that Eric Bieniemy has gone after what five years, I wonder how this changes. I wonder if it looks any different, and I, I think there will be different wrinkles that are that'll look a little bit different than that of last season. And we're assuming Matt Nagy is going to take over play calling there uh, as the quarterbacks coach, succeeding Eric Bieniemy, who is now in division with the Washington Commanders, but. Uh, you know, for me, it was just if these three people and Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid and Chris Jones, the defensive tackle, if they could just do what they do best, then the Chiefs are going to be fine. And they ended up winning the Super Bowl with a 14 and three record. Well, I do want to add to it with the Chiefs, too. It's funny. I know Mahomes made the comment. Actually, they were talking about how the Chiefs were going to be in a rebuild situation with obviously losing uh, Tyreek Hill. And I forget who else was gone. But they, the, his response was, well, if this is a rebuild, then I can't wait to see what happens next. Because that's, I mean, look at what they did. Yeah. So. And they got assets for Tyreek Hill, too. So they can keep building. Yeah. They can keep finding talent. Yeah, this they're is, going to. This is not going to be an issue. And uh, they, they tend to find talent right. in the draft as well. So we know Kansas City. That's an easy one. And their window is wide open. As long as you have Patrick Mahomes healthy, they can win another three Super Bowls in the next five years. I, that's really tough to do. He's won two in his first five. Uh, but I, I think he has a chance to win at least one more in the next five years. Who's right next? There, Right there with you. And number two, they just came short in the Super Bowl. It's the Philadelphia Eagles. And in Nick Sirianni's second season, even though he is the most punchable coach in the NFL, (laughs) I have to give him his credit where it is due because that staff did exactly what they were supposed to do and did not coach outside of themselves. They put these players, they got the assets. Howie Roseman, executive of the year by far. He went out and got the assets for this coaching staff. And he said, if you can just put them in the best position to succeed, you're going to win a Super Bowl. They made it to the Super Bowl. They came just short this season, but their window is just as wide open as Kansas City's, if you ask me, outside of the fact that they don't have a Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, but they do have a damn good quarterback in Jalen Hurts. I'll say it's less because I don't see uh, Jalen Hurts on the same level as Mahomes. Mm -hmm. They 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 do have a lot of free agents. Yep. So... I do see they they still have a very good window, but I won't say it's as big as Kansas City's because their quarterback here in this offseason, this is his last year on his rookie deal, and he doesn't have the option of picking up a fifth-year option because he's a second-round quarterback, is they're going to feel the pain of that like a lot of teams do where Kansas City doesn't because Patrick Mahomes is so good. That being said, their window is super open this upcoming season. They have the 10th overall pick. They have the 30th overall pick. They have two first-round picks. They do have to replace some free agents. They'll bring some back. They'll lose some. But I do see them uh, being a strong favorite in the NFC next year. Are you interested to see what that paycheck is going to look like when they extend them? Because it's it's going to be something like $47, 48000000 million. Let me ask you this, and I, it'll probably be in the order they sign. Who will get more? And in order, Joe Burrow, Herbert, and Jalen Hurts. Those are the three major quarterbacks out of that draft. Burrow. I think Burrow ends up getting the most money because I think Jalen Hurts is going to sign first. And I think that, like you said, that's going to dictate where the market goes. I think the Eagles are going to be like, look, the longer we wait, we're going to pay. We're going to pay a lot more because there's some other bona fide Super Bowl caliber quarterbacks. And then 
the upside of Justin Herbert alone is going to get him paid. Number three, speaking of Joe Burrow, Mm -hmm. the Cincinnati Bengals have the third biggest Super Bowl window right now. And how long will it stay open? Just ask Joe Burrow how long he's going to stay in Cincinnati because that cat is a winner. I think he's the bona fide number two quarterback in the NFL now. I think that you have Patrick Mahomes, one for sure. And I do think, to me, Joe Burrow has established himself better than all the rest uh, after you get past Mahomes. And I do think it's a, a big window there. The only thing that I don't know, and it seems like Brian Broaddus has, you know, he definitely has more information than we do, is that Cincinnati is so cash-strapped that yep. the, the family does not have a lot of money, is that there's even – small discussions of do we move burrow because can we afford to pay 50 million dollars a year to a quarterback it's going to be tough to see what they do there because they have two really good receivers that are going to need to get paid too and right. T higgins and jamar chase with I, higgins coming up sooner i think if they try to keep this team together um i do think joe burrow and jamar chase together set all the records in the history of the nfl yeah that they'll be the best quarterback-wide receiver combination in the history of the NFL. Because for Jerry Rice, he did some with Montana, he did some with Steve Young. And then I know he moved on from there, but he kept it going. But if if they stay together, if they sign Burrow and they sign Jamar Chase and they have a pretty good team, I think that they will set records that will be somewhat untouchable together. Team number four, a torn UCL kept them from being competitive in the NFC Championship game this season, the San Francisco 49ers. And they're perennial contenders because their roster is always stacked with John Lynch uh, as the GM out there, always making moves. The Christian McCaffrey deal at the deadline was impeccable. The timing of that coming together and seeing how Christian McCaffrey was able to stay pretty much healthy the entire go-around and he was a real contributor out of the backfield and carrying the football. Uh, the moves that John Lynch continues to make, having three capable winning quarterbacks on the roster, albeit hurt at different times, the, this team knows how to find talent, and they know how to acquire them. They know how to keep them around. So if they can have healthy quarterback play, you know the playmakers like Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, all still in place, this team's going to be good again next year. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. The quarterback situation is everything there, as, as Alec, you said. I, it sounds like they're going to go back to Trey Lance as long as he's healthy and shows what he showed in training camp last year and in preseason last year that uh, Brock Purdy, as much as he did in in, in uh, the playoffs and what he did at the end of the regular season because he blew out his elbow and is having you know the Tommy John surgery, mm-hmm. which is weird, right? It doesn't really happen in football, but because of the way his arm was hit in the championship game is that he is going to go back to being um, very competitive. I think if Trey Lance has any hiccups and Brock Purdy is healthy, they'll, they'll immediately go to Brock Purdy, but it sounds like they're going to go back to Trey Lance next year. It's a very good problem to have out there in San Francisco and sticking over in the Bay Area. Team number five with the biggest window. Kind of surprising if we're really thinking about it with that head coach out there kind of screwing things up every now and then. The Los Angeles Chargers come in at number five because it's obvious there's no shortage of talent uh, on the roster. You have Justin Herbert, Rashawn Slater, the phenomenal young tackle, uh, Keenan Allen, who might be on his way out the door as a salary cap uh, casualty, Mike Williams that they're paying $20 million a year, Joey Bosa, Derwin James that they made the highest p- paid safety in NFL history, and uh, the NFL touchdown leader in each of the past two seasons, Austin Eckler out of the backfield. The team is talented. My question is, 
Brandon Staley, can you just not screw it up? Because this is another cash-strapped team that if they had the money that they wanted, they probably would have fired Brandon Staley this offseason and got Sean Payton. And 50% of Cowboy fans are probably like they screwed up big time getting Kellen Moore as their offensive coordinator. Absolutely. That's a big question, Mark, that... You know, I, I'm wondering if growing together with a younger quarterback and Justin Herbert is going to benefit Kellen Moore because you saw the, like, learning on the job kind of thing with Kellen Moore going from a third-string practice squad quarterback to an NFL offensive coordinator. I wonder if growing with a younger quarterback, not a seventh, eighth-year quarterback like Dak Prescott, will help. That remains to be seen. The Chargers, I think it's kind of interesting that they're above the Cowboys, if we're being honest, but the talent level alone on the team mm-hmm. I'm okay with it. This is where we run out of time, and this is where Spittle is going to really just give it to you, is that we didn't even get to the Dallas Cowboys. Hurry up and do it now. Yeah, we're out of time, and the Cowboys weren't on the top five list, but they were on the list. What, what number were they? They were number six. They're the next team. We're there out you of, go. Man. Can't discuss the Cowboys. Great. Well, you got to be in the top That's five. That's okay. Be, we didn't discuss the Jaguars either. Are they on the list? Oh, let's see. That's a good question. The Jaguars are the final team on the list at number eight, and the Buffalo Bills come in at number seven. Mm. The Browns didn't make it. No. Nope. That's what you want to say. But you know what? If you want to be on the list and you want to be talked about, you got to be in the top five. Sorry about it. They called a brown out when they want all the fans to wear brown for mm-hmm. the Cleveland Browns game. It's a Mr. Hanky out. I, re- right. I really don't like that. It's just ugly terminology. But coming up next uh-huh. on the damn masterpiece, what can the Mavs do in the final 22 games of the season? And people still think Kyrie Irving is L.A. bound. That's next on 105 Through the Fan.